Hello, and welcome to Real Money Powered by CanStar, a podcast about real people and their real money stories. I'm Effie Zahos, CanStar's editor-at-large, author, and finance commentator. Over the past 20 years plus, I've enjoyed helping Aussies make the most of their hard-earned money. CanStar is Australia's biggest financial comparison site, helping over 10 million people a year compare finance products and make better money decisions. Before we get started, a friendly reminder that everybody's circumstances can be different and nothing we discuss here today should be taken as personal advice. It's always best to make your own inquiries before making any decisions about your finances. When does a fun night at the pokies turn into an actual problem? Well, it can be a slippery slope. Some people may find themselves returning again and again before understanding that they have developed an addiction. They may even do things they thought they would never do, like stealing, despite knowing that the odds are stacked against them. Now, in today's episode, I chat with Carolyn, who shares how she landed in jail at the age of 64 after taking $400,000 from her employer to pay for a gambling. I'm also joined by financial counsellor Annette Devereaux, who works with people experiencing gambling harm. She offers practical suggestions on how to best manage this issue. Welcome, Carolyn. Now, you've experienced firsthand the harm that gambling can cause. Roughly 20 years ago, you started using poker machines and found yourself waking up every morning with one thought in your mind. Where can I gamble today? You began taking money from your employer to fund your gambling. Now, in the end, you got caught and you paid the ultimate price. At the age of 64, you ended up in prison. Now, can you take me back to how this all started? All this started mainly because my children have moved on because they've grown up, they've got families of their own and I'm very lucky. I have six beautiful grandchildren now and I was quite lonely. My boss came out of his office one day and asked me would I'd like to go out for dinner. Yeah, of course I go out for dinner. Go out for dinner, we'll have a game on the pokies. And he taught me how to play these pokies. I walked into the room and I was just blown away with the lights and the sounds and the amount of people. It was like mesmerising. It's like you're sitting in front of a disco ball. You know, you've got all these lights and colours and sounds and then you hear tinkle, tinkle, tinkle of money coming out of people's machines and you think, oh, they've had a win. And you think it was exciting. And it was in the beginning, very exciting in the beginning. It turned into a nightmare. What happened then? How did it turn into a nightmare? I fell in love with my boss. Now, he didn't fall in love with me, but I just needed to be near him. And each time he'd ask me out, I would say yes. And that was fine in the beginning because I kept control of my money. But one time he asked me away for a beautiful weekend and I didn't have enough money to go away. So I thought I'd just borrow some money from the company. That was with good intentions of thinking I'll have a win and I'll put it all back. Then, needless to say, I didn't win. This went on for quite a few years. It went on for seven years of me stealing money to go with him wherever we went. And over those seven years, I took over $400,000 from the company and all that money went down the pokies. And that's not to say how much of my own money would have ended up down the pokies. I have paid all that money back. I owe the company absolutely nothing. I used my superannuation and sadly my father passed just after I was charged and I used my inheritance to pay the rest of the money back. 
So I own nothing. I'm certainly not proud of what I did over all those years, but I'm proud of where I am now, working hard to try and help other people not end up where I did. If I'd known then what I know now, I would never have gone in the first place. I didn't understand addictions. Addictions to me was alcoholics or drugs. I didn't understand about the addictions that these machines have been created to cause. You know, like I'd wake up in the morning thinking, where am I going to go tonight? As you said in the intro, all day it'd be on my mind, where am I going to go to tonight to win back this money I owe this company? There was always the intentions of having that big win. It's my turn. I'm going to win. You think you know what you're doing. You think you're going to have that win because it's your turn. How can others win and not you? But in reality, the fact is you don't win. And I know that now, but it was too late for me then. So I spent 18 months in prison. I did had fabulous cancelling in prison. I actually travelled to see my cancelling after I got out of prison because it was so good. We worked through a lot of issues that would have caused my loneliness, my lost feeling, being so obsessed with the boss. The company never discovered the money until his daughter-in-law started working for the company. And at that stage, I knew that if I stopped playing, they'd never notice that money gone. But I was so addicted, I had to go. And in the end, it wasn't a case of going to him back the money it was a case of going because I had to go I had to go and sit in front of one of these machines I didn't care whether I won lost I just had to sit there and watch it so that's sort of how it all went and like I said certainly not proud of what I did I'm glad I've paid all the money back but I live on the pension now live week to week on a private rental situation and it's hard it's hard whereas if I hadn't become addicted to these machines I'd probably be on cloud nine now How many times would you go a week? In the beginning, I'd probably go once a week. But in the end, I was going every day and over the weekends. And I would spend hours at these machines. No one would come up and say, look, you've been here for six to seven hours. Are you okay? I spent 15 hours in Crown and nobody came near me. 15 hours in one day. 15 hours in one day. And I spent 12 hours at a small club down here in my area and nobody came up and asked me. Are you okay? And with Crown, you had to sign up to say how much you are prepared to spend in a day. And I put down a million dollars and they never even questioned that. It's a remarkable story, Carolyn. I am lost for words. I am taken back by just how much clarity you do have. I'm sorry you had to go through this. There are a couple of things, if you don't mind, if you can break some of this down for us, because we're told it's an addiction, but we just don't understand it until we walk in your shoes, until we live what you have gone through. We can't fathom how you could take money from work, know that's wrong, go and continue doing it. How did you feel when you were doing that? I felt sick and I can't tell you how many times I nearly committed suicide. And if it wasn't for my family, I wouldn't be talking to you now. My children saved me. I'm glad they did. Your family and friends were there for you as that safety net. Did they know what you were doing back then? No. Look, I think they had suspicions. How often can you go to the supermarket and how often can you be out to dinner with friends when people call? I was such a wonderful liar. I could lie through the back of my teeth. I won't lie at all now. I had a girlfriend come around one day and asked me, did I like her haircut? And I actually said, look, I love you dearly, but no, I don't like this one, you know, because I won't lie anymore. And she laughed and she said, you know something? I don't either. (laughs) So I will not lie anymore. I've done enough of that in my life. 
and where it led me was where it led me, you know. And yes, getting caught did save me. If I hadn't got caught, where would I be now? I'd probably still be stealing and still not proud of myself. Was it more the loneliness that you think drove you to that situation? Was it that you wanted to spend time with people? You said you were in love with your boss, but what were you looking for? <laughs> I've thought about this many times, to be honest, Effie, and I don't really know what I was looking for. I don't know whether I was hoping he would fall in love with me. I certainly wasn't looking for company when I went on my own because you don't talk to people or I didn't but I really wasn't looking for anything I think I was trying to more hide from my life you know it was a terrible loneliness when the kids move on like that emptiness thing that people talk about that's true I had two boys and the house was always full with their mates and then their girlfriends and then it all of a sudden became one and it's strange when you become a one person even your friends that are couples they don't tend to invite you to things like they used to and it tends to turn into a very lonely life. Then I go and fall in love with this boss, knowing that he wouldn't fall in love with me because I wasn't his type. But it was just that need for somebody to make me think they cared about me. It's interesting because your love turned to poker machines and then that gave you even more loneliness because you didn't actually want to interact with anyone. I know we spoke before and what I found interesting, you said something along the lines that when you would win over $1,000, you actually didn't want to be paid by cheque. In fact, you actually would stay there until it went under $1,000. You'd keep playing. Why did you continue to play there? If you took a cheque, then you had to go and wait three days for that cheque to clear. So what money do you play with? And I shouldn't be using that word play either, Effie, because it's not playing. It's actually gambling. It's not a game. It's like it's not Nintendo. It's a dangerous product. This is gambling because you are risking money. And in a lot of cases, you're risking your life. I actually want to bring in an expert here. I feel we need to get a bit more insight into this issue. Now, today's expert is Annette Devereaux, and she's been a financial counsellor for 12 years, working predominantly with those experiencing gambling harm and those affected by someone else's gambling. Hello, Annette, and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Effie. Thanks for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. Look, sadly, gambling is a huge problem in Australia. I know if I'm sitting down and watching, say, primetime TV, there's a gambling ad within just about every break. That really says something. Now, you must be feeling this in your role. What are you actually seeing? Yeah, absolutely. So we do know that gambling advertising is running rife at the moment. There is some legislation and some conditions around when companies are allowed to advertise, but it's becoming normal for people to see gambling ads on the television, on the radio, during sporting events and just general TV shows. And so one of the stats that I've got is that in 2016, three quarters of children between the ages of eight to 16 could name at least one gambling company. And that's based on the fact that they see these ads all the time. And so it becomes normal for them to see gambling. And it's a real concern because it paints the gambling industry as a a fun and enjoyment area. And at times it can be really social and really fun. And they do sort of at times paint that you can make money from it. You can come away with some money. And it's not always the case for people that we see in our programs. And it's interesting, Carolyn picked that up. You heard Carolyn's story and this word, 
play. We say play the pokies, play the games. And you've noted that in your research. It is a, a play on words. And I do want to jump into that later. But hearing Carolyn's story, what are the lessons you think we can take out of this as far as gambling being an addiction? Look, I think there's a continuum. And certainly there's many people who experience addiction in gambling. But I, I suppose underpinning all this is that if you're over the age of 18, gambling is a legal activity. So whether that's buying a lottery ticket, whether that's playing the pokies, whether that's betting on a horse or betting on a, a sporting activity, they can be legal activities. So the gambling companies are making a lot of money from people and they make more money from people who develop problems with gambling than they do on the average better or the average person that plays the pokey machines. It does get to the point, I think sometimes, and Carolyn might agree with this, is that it's no longer fun for people when they're gambling or when they're playing, say, a pokey machine. There becomes a point where it's a need and it's not a social fun activity anymore. Carolyn, how do you feel about that, that it is sold as a game, a way to entertain, pass your time, and the fact that there are people fundamentally that are paying the ultimate price here to sustain some of these winners? Look, I'm disgusted with the way the industry works. It's a legal thing to do, but it shouldn't be. I watched this thing on the TV the other day. I was just watching a movie and up flashed the results for, I think it was Oz Lotto or something like that. And it came up with gamble responsibly. And then underneath it had gambler's helpline. Now, gamble responsibly, I hate those words. That is putting the blame back on the person playing these things or gambling on these things. Stop blaming the person. Start blaming this predatory industry that want to take millions, billions from people per year. I put the statistics together for the AGR, which is the Alliance for Gambling Reform, and it horrifies me to think that over a million dollars goes per day down these bloody machines. And that's just Victoria. Yeah. Responsible gambling is a cop-out to me. I absolutely agree with you completely. There's no point putting a little disclaimer down the bottom, responsible gambling or take care after you've basically enticed people and put them in that situation. But I think we could be up for some debate around whether gambling should be legal or illegal. Drinking, for example, is legal, but it too can cause addiction. Annette, what are your thoughts on this? I think certainly financial counsellors and counsellors that I work with, we come from the preface of doing harm minimisation. So working with the individual and asking them how they feel about their gambling, whether it's a problem for them, whether they just want to slow down their gambling or whether they want to stop altogether. But we are always directed by the individual. I absolutely agree that the industry has a lot of difficulties and it could do a lot more around that. But I suppose when people get into the counselling services or into our financial counsel, programs, it is around that harm minimisation and working with them where they're most comfortable and getting them to develop their skills to see money in a different way and maybe have some different activities or work out what their triggers are and those sorts of things. So Carolyn, can I take you back now to your situation when you were in prison? That was your turning point. That's when you actually felt that this was your saviour. What was your experience like in prison? Look, I was one of the lucky ones. I qualified to go up to the prison farm up near Malden in Victoria. And that was sort of great because the two weeks that I spent down in Deer Park were horrifying. I was scared all the time. I met some people in there that were murderers. I was really scared behind all these walls and you couldn't see out and got locked down all the time because somebody might have pulled a knife or something like that. You were 64, never had a parking fine or anything like that. <laughs> 
never had a speeding fine or parking fine in my life, never done anything wrong in my life. Basically, goody two-shoes, yeah, and then they end up in prison because of an addiction. Some people just say, well, it was your fault. Well, yes, it was my fault. I took this money, yes, but I didn't know about these machines. Look, we've got two hopes in hell if you're ever getting this change from being legal to illegal, and I know that. But things can change. Slow down the spins of these machines. Take away the addictive nature of these machines, music and the lights and the colours and the, the losses disguised as wins. There's things that can be done to help people. You know, like down in my area, you can play 24 hours a day. Now, the licences are only 20 hours a day for any hotel or club other than Crown. But down here, they stagger the hours, so they're open 24 hours a day. So how disgusting is that? If that's not predatory, what is? And Annette, I think you talked about that the alcohol industry or tobacco have gone that step further as far as how they advertise, how they target, and there's room for improvement yet to come in gambling. Absolutely. I can understand Carolyn's point of view. The area that most concerns me at the moment is the sports betting or the online betting because you can do it anywhere. You can do it in your bedroom, you can do it on the train, you can do it in the lounge room while your parents are sitting next to you. And so that younger generation being brought up that betting on sports or any activity is okay and it's actually not okay. And so we talked before about the lights and the sirens and the music on the machines, but it's the same as gaming for young people. So some of these gaming products that are out now are actually owned by big gambling companies. And we have seen some gaming products that have reference to poking machines in there, or, or you can buy skins and loots with things. And it's a way of grooming young people from their gaming into the, the gambling world. And that's a real concern because the next generation are growing up thinking that gambling is okay. Okay, and I can make money from it or I can have more stature in my community or around my mates or I'm good at this and like Carolyn was saying it's the algorithms and things of these machines and the, the systems that you're never gonna really win. Yeah and you know if you have a teenager boy or girl doesn't matter as far as you know games online social media they have been exposed to gambling. Carolyn can I just ask how things with your family and friends are now? Fabulous. My family has stuck by me all through this. They were in court when I was sentenced and it actually brought my brother and I closer. But I was lucky. I met many people, Effie, that families just disowned them. Many people. And it's sad. And like what Annette said about gambling with kids and things like that, I agree. The ads on the TV, and I worry about my grandkids. I don't think they would dare gamble, to be honest, because they know that Danny would be chasing them around with a stick. But <laughs> who knows? No, definitely don't mess around with Nana. Annette, if people are experiencing gambling issues and they come to you, what is the normal process you follow? And actually, if I can just step back from that question, do you get people voluntarily coming to you? Isn't that the hardest part? I mean, in Carolyn's case, it was prison that got her the help she needed. Yeah, absolutely. And so from a financial counselling perspective, we know that when people are struggling with their finances, that can often be a trigger for people to reach out for help. And I'm sure that there's many people who have 
have reached out many times for assistance and that's one of the things that I'm proud of in the sector that I work in that we don't give up on people who come for assistance because sometimes they're coming in crisis so they might have gambled the night before and they don't have the money to pay their rent and so they're really concerned about that so that's the trigger for them to come and access some support. After a couple of weeks things might get back on track for them and they'll say look it's not a problem now but three, six, twelve months time they might come back to the same service and say look it's still not under control or I've had a relapse and um, I'm gambling again and I'm not managing my finances can you assist so always being available always building the rapport with a client and hearing their story and letting them hear that there's no shame guilt or surprise coming to a service like ours there is also a 24-hour gambler's help number which is 1-800-858-858 and there's counsellors on the phone that can talk to people at any time but can also direct them to their local service it's really important that you get to speak to someone who understands that gambling is impacting on your relationships on your work and particularly on your finances and that's where we as financial counsellors work with that so we look at what their income is we look at what their expenses are we look at what debts they've got and we can assist them to advocate with those creditors or with their real estate company or we can do it on their behalf if they're just too anxious and everything's really overwhelming for them and then we look at things like setting up payment arrangements and trying to get things paid but it does come down to that rapport initially and just getting them to see that it it is okay to talk about what's going on for them and, and trying to be honest as Carolyn said she told many lies and we see that all the time that people are just feeling so ashamed and guilty about what their circumstances are and how they got in that predicament in the first place. And that's a shame if it was more accepted and acknowledged that this is an addiction and unfortunately it's one that you just actually can't see that somebody has. If I can just add there, Effie, that uh, we find that individuals in front of us will say, am I the worst that you've seen or no one gambles as much as I gamble and you can't fix me or you can't help me. But there's always snippets of information and tools and supports that we can do and keep trying different ways of managing your money better or in counselling, looking at the triggers and support people into their recovery around this. So no one's ever too bad that they can't access either the therapeutic counselling or financial counselling and I think you'll find a really good listening ear and someone that can understand you and not judge you when you come and see a counsellor or a financial counsellor. Good advice in it. Caroline, in your case, did you relapse? I mean, how would you feel if someone said, hey, let's go down to your local RSL? Look, I would go for a meal because I was lucky enough with my counsellor. He took me for exposure therapy, which meant that he took me to a club and first time, no, I couldn't go inside. I was physically sick outside with the sounds but it worked me through the exposure therapy over a few months so then I was able to walk into a club sit in the actual pokies area and not give a damn about them if anything I was just angry and I got angrier and angrier about them I work hard now with with respin and also I perform my story with another group and I also work with the alliance so I'm working hard now to try and avoid it yes I've had in a couple of instances I haven't relapsed and gone into the pokies and gambled on them but at one stage I actually drove to a venue and I was going to go in because I was just had a really bad time but I got to the car park and I thought no nah, 
you are not taking money from me. And I sat in the car park and cried my heart out and drove back home again. Good on you. That anger that you have and directing in a positive place, in a positive manner. Annette, what would you say to somebody who's listening now who there's no way their loved one is going to go to someone like yourself and get help? They're ashamed. They feel that it's their fault. They don't recognize it's an addiction or they may not acknowledge it's an addiction. How do you get help to these people? How do loved ones react in that situation? Because we can easily just sit back and just let it happen. Yeah. And that's a, a really difficult situation. We see that often when a partner might go to the supermarket to do the shopping and there's no money mm. in the bank and that shame of going, oh no, I, I'm pretty sure he got paid last night. And there's lots of scenarios like that that happen all the time. In many of the services and gamblers help programs, we see the affected other and, and often like that crisis, the gambling of the night before, the partner will say, well, you need to go and see a counsellor or you need to stop gambling, but we can't make others do anything. It, it has to be up to that individual. So agencies like ours will see the affected other. So we'll see the partner, we'll see the mother, we'll see the brother, we'll see the friend and we'll support them in learning strategies and tips on how to look after themselves, but maybe how to say no to lending them money or how to have conversations around having joint bank accounts or taking over the finances or sitting down and doing the finances together to try and reduce the risk of there being no money in the accounts for when the bills or when the lifestyle choices are made for that affected other. And there are support groups as well, which is a really good thing. So it's difficult because people who don't gamble or don't have a problem with gambling, the typical line is, well, why don't they just stop? And mm. for most people, it's gone beyond that. I can't just stop anymore. And so saying that isn't helpful for somebody. It is trying to understand why they're doing it and it's trying to minimise the, the risk of the finances, but also looking after yourself. So taking care of yourself, going to see a counsellor and financial counsellor, developing up some strategies. Possibly the gambler will also access those services, but sometimes they never do. So it is about looking after yourself first. Carolyn, if you had a loved one that was gambling, what would you do? If I thought they were, I would now approach them. I would say, look, you know, I'm not going to pry into your affairs too much, but do you have a problem with gambling? Can I help you? I know all about this. I know how it can affect you. Can I help you? And I think the more lived experience people's stories that get out there, the stories of recovery can help people that are going through it and trying to stop. Because you know, they see that you can survive this, you can move forward from this. And like Annette said, you know, we've got two people in our group of three sides that are affected others. And I never even thought about affected others until I met them. Never even gave it a thought about how I was affecting my children or my family or my friends. But then I met these ladies and I realised every time I did something like spend the money on gambling, I was keeping money away from, like the inheritance from my father. You know, I have nothing to leave for my children. And that is really hard. There is definitely a price you've paid and obviously your loved ones. Where to now? Where to now? Where to now is to just be happy in the future. Now, that's number one. The second one is, oh, I do this. But my children, one of my boys especially, is a little bit concerned about me doing like this speaking engagements because he knows that it upsets me. 
but I do this so that I can stop one person ending up where I did and that's important to me. I do the performances, which I like doing, and I work for the Alliance for Gaming Reform, so I'm doing a lot of advocacy work. There's two reasons for that. One, it keeps me going to know what the industry is actually doing, and hopefully what I speak about helps people understand that you can survive this addiction. And the other reason is to just, I guess, to make myself feel like something good's come out of something really bad and that makes me feel like my life is now more worthwhile there's something in the future for me Carolyn, i'm sure that someone is listening right now and this is resonating with them that you could actually be their savior in that regard so definitely some good has come out of this bad for you i hope so i have heard from some people that said gee you helped me gee i didn't realize you could survive this And that's a real plus and that warms the heart. You do have to acknowledge that you have gone through a tremendous journey and to be able to sit on the other side of this and have that power within you to say no to going back to that place. You have come a long, long way, Carolyn, and must be very proud of your situation. And I thank you for today for your time because there are other people listening right now that are going through this and they're still stuck in it. So if you can change someone, just anyone, you have done a remarkable job, not just for yourself, but for everyone else. So I thank you very, very much for your time. And Annette, thank you for all your work that you do in this industry and your insights today. Thank you, ladies. Thanks, Steffi. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Real Money with Effie Zahos, powered by CanStar, Australia's biggest financial comparison site. CanStar's experts research and rate finance products from over 30 categories, including home loans and insurance, personal loans, super and investing. To compare products and see if you could be getting a better deal, visit canstar.com.au. As always, you'll find useful links in the show notes, but if you need more information on today's podcast topics or any other money topics, head to canstar.com.au. Do you have a money story you'd like to share? Get in touch with me at effie.zahos at canstar.com.au.